first thing is, I think, to make a difference between hunting and farming. If you have that, and if you have two different teams, then they should probably really also have different uh, incentivation schemes because they usually will work on different things. So uh, where maybe in hunting, you would already start with the production of leads and you would start maybe even incentivizing for qualifications. So and SDRs, for example, many times they get money for qualifying leads or setting demos. You are not going to pay money for that for, uh, for a farmer many times. But for a farmer, you could do something like uh, that's much, much later in the funnel, like uh, winning churn back. That's a classic, uh, but also something like an MPS uh, of, of service. It depends on how much the service the farmers are actually doing. Project A podcast. Hello, welcome to today's Project A podcast episode. Hello. Um, I have Raul here with me again. And we are doing the second part of our sales podcast, Sales Compensation in a Nutshell. Hi, Raul. Thanks hey for there. taking the time again. Um, what we did last time was that we um, talked about why do you need sales incentives in the first place? Um, why are they actually so common in most sales functions? Um, what are some big do's and don'ts when you set up your first sales compensation scheme? Um, and how do you even come up with a commission model? So what is the kind of thought process that you should follow to come up with a, uh, with a model that works and also adapt that model? What we want to do today is um, going a little bit deeper and actually talking about different tools that you have when you set up a sales compensation. So what, what different kind of mechanics can you use? What are advantages and disadvantages of those? Um, and when should you use them? So we basically talk a little bit about and what kind of roles should you be looking at with which tools um, also across the development um, of salespeople over their career um, and how can you also incentivize people versus teams and so on. So uh, let's get into this um, and start right away. So um, yeah, we spoke about why in the last time. So today the what. What are the common tools out there? What kind of parts are there when you put together an incentive model? Yeah. So, in general, you can think of basically any tool that will tackle any problem that you think you have, um, or any a hole that you want to fill in your uh, in your commission scheme. But the biggest tools that have been used so far, and then actually new ones are coming up all the time, uh, but people maybe are not aware that they're actually commission tools, uh, would be uh, just a fixed component, and then variable components, uh, which usually would be something like a commission and uh, I'll get to that in a second, something like a bonus or some non-cash uh, components, uh, and I'll, I'll get to that also, what that could be. And then there is also a couple of more general tools that you could use. Um, we'll, we'll get to each of those in a second, as I said, but I think the point is to think about the fact that all of these target some hole that you might have in your uh, incentivization scheme. And so the smaller your holes get, the more precise your answers get. And at some point, maybe it might get to the point of over-engineering. So really think about before you even implement any of these things, is it even worth putting in that effort? Is it even worth putting this in the contract and maybe making people confused uh, if I'm not really solving a problem I have? So once again, if we go back to the first session that we had, we said that one of the biggest mistakes is to target only simplicity. Uh, as the main goal of having a commission scheme, which we said was was not really the main target. Your main focus should be uh, aligning with the goals of your company. And again, I think this should be important here as well. So 
only introduce some of these tools when they really when you really need them. If you don't, then sure, simplicity is good. Uh, so value that when you need. When you have a question, then go for that. All right. Uh, to get into the tools, though, so we start with a fixed component, and just as it says, a fixed component is basically the base salary that you're paying your salespeople or your account managers. And in general, there is a little bit of a tension with that because you would want to keep that as low as possible usually, mm -hmm. and the salespeople uh, or the employee wants to have that. Well, with some exceptions, they will want to have it as high as possible. And so the, the, the point is, what are you really going at with uh, a fixed component is you're trying to make it so that people can have a sense of security and a, and a, and a safety net where in bad months, and, and this can happen when the, in a company with seasonality or it can happen when you're starting out in a company uh, where you can still pay the rent. So obviously, sure, you want performance from your people, but you also want to do it so they're not deathly afraid of missing out their gas installations uh, or not being able to pay their internet at home just because they had a bad month. And, and I think that's, uh, that's actually um, an important point because yes, obviously you want to incentivize people and have a high variable part, but you also want to make sure that they don't become desperate, right? Because we always, we've all heard the stories about those people pushing deals down a customer's throat just to make their, uh, make their commission. Uh, and you really want to make sure that it's in a good kind of um, area. It's still flexible, but it doesn't lead to desperation. Yeah. And that's a good point because those, that desperation many times will cost you more in the long run. Yeah. Uh, uh, with the biggest cost being the, the cost of the customer maybe churning and not coming back. Uh, but also, of course, the cost of having people work on that account, trying to get it back and all that. And that can happen if, if uh, salespeople feel the need that they need to do that. And I think a good example of that would be, I, th I think it's not really legal that much anymore uh, since we have a, a minimum salary in Germany. But uh, I, I know when I was maybe, maybe 10 years ago, uh, after I graduated high school, um, there was people all over the place trying to get you into financial advisor schemes and, and also university we had that kind of MPL, uh, MLP or whatever they're called. Uh, and they really had a model where you had a very, very low fix and you had people who needed to sell. So maybe just for the for those of you who don't know, so th they sell insurances and financial products for students, for example, or for elderly people. Everybody knows that kind of uh, person. And usually they're very uh, unpopular salespeople. And the reason they're unpopular salespeople is because they usually and at least it was like that, had a very, very low fixed commission, uh, uh, fixed uh, component. And so they were really incentivized to basically sell their grandmas uh, for, for commission. So they had a heavy commission scheme and they could make good money sometimes if they really had a lot of sales. And it really was also the case that they were taught and also incentivized to sell to their family and sometimes also sell to their family and friends uh, products that they, they didn't need. And so for me, in my experience, when I was a student, when I just graduated high school, I started university and everything, uh, I had people in my, uh, in my uh, vicinity that really tried to sell me th some things that just didn't make sense for me. So Berufsunfähigkeitsversicherung, which is, what would that be, disability insurance, uh, uh, selling that to a 20-year-old who just started university, maybe in some, sense, in some senses it makes sense, but that's probably not the first thing I should be worried about when I'm 20 years old and I'm just starting university. But they're still trying uh, because yeah. they know you and they really try to maximize their value. Yeah, absolutely. So just to give like a, a rough ballpark number out there, can you like say generally what would be a good range of fixed to, to variable? Yeah, so 
there's two things for that. So I think number one is, well, maybe maybe three things actually. Number one is uh, a ratio that has been established in the market. We talked about this last time, uh, would be about 70-30. So that's a good rule of thumb. There's many cases where you want to be lower in fix or higher in fix, but I think that's a good rule of thumb when you really don't know where you're starting yet. And it's also good to know what the market is usually paying. Um, of course, 70-30 relates to the target ratio. So let's say I give you a goal of uh, making sales of 1 million. So then you would earn 70 fix and 30 variable once you reach that 1 million. If you reach more than that, you sell 2 million, you might earn much more than 30% uh, commission, right? Because the fixed component stays the same, but the commission's uh, component uh, becomes higher. So just keep that in mind. You want, it, you want to always think about a relative to goals and, and 100% goal achievement for salespeople. For really good salespeople, and that's also, I mean, I, I've heard this ethos before from, from good CSOs that I've worked with. For really good salespeople, their ratio can sometimes be 50-50 or even, even reverse, 30-70. So let's say a really good salesperson with a lot of experience, they make 50,000 fix, but they make 100,000 uh, bonus because they just have such a good year. Uh, or they are that good, and that's great. Uh, you wanna you wanna obviously incentivize that, and you wanna allow that. But that's not a bad thing. So just going back to that, if you if all you think about is well, maybe, well, I want to achieve a 70-30 ratio. That's not really the right uh, way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. So I generally, I, I always think it's a good sign when you're in the recruiting process and you're talking to um, a potential sales candidate, and they they are basically pushing for a higher variable. I think that's a good sign because it shows they're kind of confident. But uh, we, we shouldn't forget that we are, I mean, probably the listeners of this podcast and also us, uh, we are usually dealing with quite early stage companies. And it's just really, even for good salespeople, it's very hard to judge from the outside how well you can sell that product. And I think with those kind of circumstances, it's okay for them to be a little less uh, risk affine maybe than uh, in a more mature company. I agree. And I think there are ways, though, that you can minimize the risk on their side without actually giving up too much fixed uh, component that you wouldn't have to. And the simplest way would be to, uh, uh, let's say, okay, we make a contract and I want to hire you. Uh, you get 70 fix and uh, 30 bonus with when you reach yeah. your goals, right? Yeah. And obviously you could earn a little more, a little less than that, but let's say that that's, that's your thing. And you want to earn 100,000, so that you're fine with that. But you're not actually sure in my new company uh, if you're actually going to be able to sell uh, yeah. according to 30,000. So what I can then do is I'll just say, hey, for the next 6 to 12 months, I'll fix your variable component. So that way you don't have to worry about that. And uh, then you can have a lower barrier to entry in the, into the company. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a double-edged sword because on the one hand, of course, you usually want to have, and we'll get to that, you usually want to have a variable component to motivate the people. So... If you're the wrong hire, it might be the case that you just won't be motivated because you can't earn whatever you want to earn. Again, countermeasure to that. First of all, of course, uh, we have a probation period in Germany. So if you're the kind of person that just says, well, I have my, my variable fixed for a while, I just don't have to deliver, then it's very easy to uh, not work with you anymore within the first six months. Uh, but also, you have to uh, think about the fact that you might have a great upside if you earn even uh, more than the 30, if I allow you for that. Yeah. So, Again, that, that's another thing. Going back to the fixed component, though, I think the one thinking that has really uh, resonated with me and that I've seen make a lot of sense in sales is to always think about 
ratios of, so this gets a little bit more technical, it's a little bit more in the detail, to think about the ratio of sales cost associated with a sale that you're gonna make. So mm -hmm. uh, this sounds more complicated than it is, but it, it's, it's really just, I mean, I wouldn't even call it an accounting measure, but it's, I'm gonna sell 100,000 worth of product, how much am I paying just for the sales uh, associated with that? And then, of course, what does that really mean is a little bit complicated. Does that mean just the salary of the salespeople? Does it also mean the traveling cost for them? It, does it include their MacBook that they're working with? So this you have to obviously define for yourself and, and there's no right or wrong. Point is though, that what should be part of that is the uh, commission scheme. So in that way, you can or already have a connection between the sale you make and the cost that's going to be uh, happening later. So let's say you know, well, my target ratio is I want 10% of my sales to be sales cost. Mm -hmm. So I sell 100,000 worth of product. That means that I want my sales for that to cost maximum 10,000 euros. Yeah. Right. That means that already you know exactly what you have to toy around with. Mm -hmm. So that will make it very easy for you to know how much can you afford to pay as a commission? How much can you afford to pay fix? Where do you maybe have to lower your traveling costs? And this will directly also influence your commission and your, your fixed variable. And it's, of course, a little bit difficult to really have all these numbers at hand at every moment. And it's not rocket science. You don't have to be super precise. But I think it's a very good exercise to think about how much do I want my sales to cost. Uh, and that way, also, you make it so that sales is much more comparable to other departments as well. And I think um, one, one important learning from my end is that when you think about uh, setting up sales incentives, you should do both. You should come basically from a bottom-up calculation. So thinking about what is what is reasonable, what is achievable for a sales rep and what kind of salary would they end up with with the decent performance. But it should also basically come from the top-down perspective and think how much can I actually afford to pay if we make those sales. And I think a lot of people are lacking the second, second part when they think about sales components. So they do think about what does it mean for the individual person, but less so what does it actually mean for my overall business. And even if you don't have all those numbers fixed or you're really sure what they are, you have an idea at least in a business plan and you should relate to that. Yeah. And here's where I think this gets really important, is when you introduce a fix and some variable components, the way you can think about it is that, so you have a goal that you give to a salesperson. Again, I give you a goal of selling 1 million worth of product, right? I hire you, that's your goal. And I pay you a certain amount of fixed components. What happens is that unless, until, and, and if I calculate it correctly, let's say I calculated that 1 million goal and the fixed component that I give you in relation to how much I want to pay for a sale, right? That we calculated in the way that, that we just talked about. So if you did that well, what that means is that basically as a company, until a certain point, which is usually the point around the goal, you carry more risk than the salesperson. Mm -hmm. Because I pay you 70,000 70, or 100,000, whatever it is fixed, you might also be an absolute bust. So you might also just sell nothing. Which means that if you look at all the salespeople you have, or even the one salesperson you have, and everybody of them has a sales goal of 1 million, some of them might not reach it. So that means that your calculation is off, right? You made a calculation, you want your sales to cost whatever, 10% or whatever. If I pay you a fixed amount and you're not selling, I'm not getting that money back. Yeah. So that's a risk that I'm carrying. Yeah. Of course, you're carrying that with any employee you have, but in sales, it is directly measurable. Mm. So, and that's fine. I think a lot of companies uh, understand that and that's the inherent risk of hiring anyone. That's fine. But I think in sales, you also have the unique possibility to then translate that risk in 
upside for yourself and upside for the salesperson. So uh, that means that I have to make my schedule, uh, uh, my scheme in such a way that if you perform over 100% or maybe even over 90, if that's my, that's where I put my barrier, then I benefit from it more than you do. So in that way, it's a very fair uh, scheme, mm. right? If you would make a graph out of it, then you would probably have a point where two lines meet, which is the risk and the return of the salesperson and the risk and the return of the company. They somewhere meet in the middle, and that middle is somewhere around the, the goal. That's where you think, okay, that's where my fix, I'm fine with having paid them my fixed component and maybe 20, 30 more. And that's where also the salesperson is like, well, okay, uh, I'm fine with my, what I put in and what I'm getting out. Yeah. And after that, is where you try to make a little bit more of the cake and also give the salesperson something so they're incentivized to, to do more. Yeah. So I would say that you could think about a fixed component, so just to, to finalize fixed components. Before you reach 100% of the goal, or let's say 90%, you will usually have disproportionately high selling expenses. Yeah. Just because for every euro you sell, you're going to have a more fixed euro salary that I have to pay for it. Yeah. And over 100% goal, uh, 100% performance, you will have disproportionately low selling expenses. And you would like to have your company set up in a way that the sum of all your salespeople nets out to about 100%, right? So, yeah. or of course, even better yeah. if possible. <laughs> Ideally, yeah. yes. <laughs> okay, um, cool. So we, we are talking about variable now as, as one thing, but there is actually a few different ways how you can define and set up variable components. Could you maybe talk a little bit about this? Yeah. So. Actually, there's a ton of ways. Uh, I would say there's two main things, and those would be commissions and bonus. And so it's a little bit difficult to translate those exactly because many companies use commission as an overall word for everything that has to do with variable components. Uh, if you look into the, the, the online websites and if you look into how people talk about it, if you read the literature, everybody uses the word differently. So maybe be a little bit cautious with what you're actually reading and what you're actually hearing now, but I think it's more about the content of it. Yeah. So commissions, as, as usually they're understood, are generally a percentage of, that's how you can think of it many times, uh, that goes along with something you sell or something you achieve. And in the most simple terms, hey, I'm selling a uh, 100,000 euro worth of uh, product, and my commission scheme is that I earn 3% on every sale that I make, or 10%, whatever it is. So yeah. very simple calculation. For every euro I sell, I make a percentage of something. Okay. It could also be the uh, total amount. So it could also be, hey, for whatever, I'm selling uh, some sort of software as a service. For every license that I sell, I make five euros. Mm -hmm. And that could also be possible. Uh, it's usually something that is going to be pretty simple for the salesperson to, uh, to calculate. You can make it complicated, always possible, but in general, that's something that you could do with a commission scheme. So generally, I would say the, the fixed money amount makes it, as you said, quite easy for the salesperson to understand how much money they're making from each individual deal. It makes it also really tangible in a way because you know, okay, I got a hundred bucks for this or whatever the, whatever the number is. Um, but obviously this kind of discriminates for the size of the deals they acquire because every, most deals are different in size and I think the, the variable part obviously helps you in also incentivizing sales reps to go for the bigger deals that also obviously are more interesting for your company. Yeah, and obviously we talked, we, we hinted at this a little bit last time, not every euro, not every dollar is, uh, is worth the same amount. So again, if you have an MRR uh, sort of, of scheme, so you're selling software as a service and your lock-in is for 
uh, or we, we both of us are selling and I sell three years for 10 licenses and you sell one year for 15 licenses, then it's obvious that I produce more value, right? Yeah. Because I sold longer for a little bit less licenses. Yeah. But it's not exactly obvious how we should pay commission for that. So who should earn more? When should they earn that? And how, how do you make it so it's fair? Because obviously you want both of us to sell. Yeah. Uh, so you have to incentivize whatever, uh, whatever is possible, whatever is coming your way. Yeah. But yes, so fully agree with you. Big advantage of this kind of commission is that in general, it's very easy to understand. Uh, once you don't, of course, you can also introduce it a little bit bigger. You can say, hey, uh, you get kickers for commissions. You get uh, especially performance kickers. That, that's a little bit diff different. But you can have uh, for every year after the third year, you get 5% for, for that uh, MRR commission you're making. So that's all possible. Uh, but in, in general, it's very easy for the salesperson to, to calculate. And it's also very easy for you to understand whether things are making sense or not. Yeah. So I think that's a big plus for both sides, which is also why in, in variable, that's also many times used as a synonym for things. Yeah. But Again, and, and going back to that, there are some disadvantages. So you just said one, uh, you don't really disincentivize for big deals necessarily because you're still going to take them if, if it's easy to take them. But it's not always going to be the right behavior that you want from your salesperson because it makes it so they maybe optimize exactly towards the kind of deals that make sense for them and maybe not sense for you. And so what you can then do is that's another variable component. I uh, would call that bonus. And that is basically a general term for uh, a bucket term for anything that has to do with uh, amendments and adjustments to the uh, commission that you're paying. So it could be something like kickers for hitting quotas. It could be, and well, we'll get to that too in, in a second, but it could be something like maybe even shares in startup companies, right? So it's something that you get after a certain amount, uh, let's say for every 1 million or 2 million that you sell, you get point something percent uh, in shares even companies do that but it's generally something that is fixed to milestones more than the, the money you're making on a daily so it would be something like hey the top or maybe not milestones but even uh, achievements relative to others so to give some examples hey uh, the top three where sales organization of 30 people top three th salesperson every month get a whatever, a trip to Thailand or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it sounds funny, but companies do that. And I think actually it's a great, great thing. And we should probably try to get that back. Um, but yeah. it used to be more common for sales organizations to, to give holiday trips and, and such to people. And I think that that should co come back. Um, we'll get to that in a second as well. But again, bonuses are usually something that are linked to performance in general. So top salespeople get something. Uh, and that's really good because many times you can, with very little money, so let's say I pay the top three salespeople in my company a trip to Thailand in the summer for the quarter, whatever. Top three salespeople this quarter get a trip to Thailand. It sounds like, well, why would you pay those people 2,000 euros or whatever it is for a trip for two people maybe even, or 3,000. If you look at the grand scheme and if people are actually motivated by it, that's probably going to be the cheapest sales that you could ever buy. So. If you make it right, and if you if you price right, which you give out to the people, these kind of non-cash components could be the cheapest uh, sort of incentive that you could ever give to people, and that's also why I think they should come back. Yeah. On the other hand, though, big big disadvantage with that is what you don't want to have is 
to have it clear that there is maybe just five rainmakers in your company, as in the top five performers, and they're the only ones who even have a shot at, at that Thailand trip, and they're just accumulating Thailand trips like every quarter. They don't even know how, what to do with them anymore, yeah. or iPhones or iPads, whatever it is, or car in, in bigger companies, and it's always the same people willing, uh, winning everything because that is not really motivating to the other per people. So what you would then create is a situation where it's just the same people all over winning a, a trip to Thailand or a car every month, and the others are not really putting in more effort, which means that you're not getting much out of your money that you're putting in for that yeah. trip. Yeah, because in the end, I mean, the, the advantage of those kind of schemes is that you are incentivizing a whole team to basically push, but in the end, you're only paying something out to the winners, right? So you're incentivizing 30 people, but only paying a higher bonus, whatever, for three people. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, first of all, it's important to make sure that you structure this in a way that actually the entire team feels like, okay, I have a shot at this. And the second point that you also have to be careful with is this really is one of the most prominent ways to create a lot of competition in your team. And I think generally you also don't want people fighting over deals with each other because you just loot. You lose a lot of efficiency and you rather want people to help out other people with deals discuss their kind of selling techniques and so on and be a bit more cooperative than just uh, pure competition. Yeah. As I said, though, I think it's a great way to, to get very cheap sales. It's a great way to motivate people. And there's even others. Uh, so I think, um, again, the car, there's cars, there's shares, there's trips, all that kind of thing. But I think a great example of a commission scheme actually done right is something like a snowball system or like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> And not that I'm a fan of them, actually not at all, but, uh, or not that you should go that way, but the whole reason that they work is basically because they're one big incentive scheme. Yeah. So the, what you get there is if you perform well, and performing well is usually not even measured by how much you sell, but how, much, how many people you acquire under you to, to work in your net and, and to, to make sales for you. How much you earn is usually comprised and your performance is usually comprised by getting more people under you. And then what happens is that once you get that started, you start making money from other people's sales and you start making money in a very, very easy way. So it gets very, very addicting and it gets very, very important for you to actually align yourself exactly with the company's goal. So the company wants to hire as many people as possible and they make it so that once you get to hire people, you make money so easily and you make money so passively that you want to hire more and you want to hire more and you're even going to hire maybe people that are not as great, but you just want to hire. Yeah. So there's many reasons that you probably shouldn't go after a pyramid scheme, but it's really quite a genius uh, effort on their side. And I think it's the main reason that pyramid schemes still exist nowadays, even when everybody knows about them and that some people still have success with them is because they have such a genius incentivization scheme. Yeah. And maybe just to round that up. So a couple things, uh, of course, what you could also always do is maybe replace everything we said before with revenue, uh, with profit. Uh, or margin, so you could say, I'm not paying commission only on uh, revenue that we're making, but I'm paying it on profit, on margin. So that's especially the case if you have a product where salespeople can sometimes loot a lot of the margin. Many examples that where that could work, uh, or maybe where you want to incentivize people to work in a very efficient way. So let's say you want them to, we had this actually at a company where I worked at, where we were basically international leader for something that we did, and we had actual customers all over the world. and. We had salespeople all the time wanting to fly to South Africa for one customer, to fly to New Zealand for one customer, and that sounds nice, and sometimes it's really cool for your salespeople, of course, but what we had to do is we really had to introduce a component of total sales costs, and we had to make them aware of it, and we also had to deduct from them. So we, what we did is we said, hey, uh, that's fine. You can travel to South Africa. There's no issue with that. 
but that costs 3,000 euros uh, or four or 5,000. So really do that only if it makes sense. And what we did is we said every euro basically that you go over a certain amount, you will have to justify that with revenue or it's going to be subtracted from your uh, commission scheme. And that was a very simple way to make people understand, hey, uh, I'm not only responsible for revenue, I'm also responsible for doing this in a profitable way. Yeah. Okay, um, so um, maybe one thing to add there, because um, I think there's two ways in how, how to make sure that people don't just go for revenue. And it's usually when salespeople have the power to also offer discounts, which probably you, you want to have because you don't want to discuss every single deal with them when the company grows. Um, and there are basically two ways. I mean, you're either incentivizing them on contribution margin or profit from their deals, or you're basically saying, okay, this is a little bit too complicated and I don't want them to always have to calculate how much am I making from this deal now. That you can also say, okay, you have a sales goal, but you also have a maximum discount uh, that you're allowed to offer across all of your deals. So that's also something that you can add. And I think you have to weigh in having several components that they have to keep in mind versus one slightly more uh, complicated calculation. Very simple example of that would be a couple of years ago I went to buy a cell phone. So my contract was finished and I had to get a new contract and a cell phone. And I was there just at the right time. Uh, I had a friend in that store and they had really in that moment, so they weren't even, they weren't even screwing with me. It was really the case. They had just got a new... Um, a contingent of uh, uh, cheaper contracts that they could give. So yeah. he told me, he explained to me while he did all the contracts and everything, look, I have about eight to 10 contracts every month. In bad months, sometimes to give it a little bit more where I can have these kind of, uh, of prices and you will have that locked in for two years. Uh, and I have that just to give, not even to friends and family, but to when things are not going so well. Yeah. And that's one very simple way of doing that. Or another would be to say, hey, um, you can give up to 10% uh, of reduction in prices uh, and but every for every percent that you get you maybe lose five percent of your uh, of the bonus that you make or of the commission that you make so then sales per salesperson has to know do I really want to go for the sale with 10 percent uh, uh, less cost but then I lose half of my uh, commission uh, or maybe I can get a better price out of it so then your incentives are aligned again Okay, um, we touched upon uh, sales challenges as a, as a tool. Um, what would also be interesting, I think, is um, when would you use individual um, incentives and team incentives? Yeah, so we touched uh, at team incentives actually last time just for a second. And I think, so for team goals, uh, they're sort of the new thing. Everybody wants to have a team component in their bonus scheme. I've heard this many times. I personally am not a big fan of them. Uh, I do see the upside though, but I think there's a lot of potential for upset. Um, so it can be very difficult to make it so that everybody actually is incentivized to do something that makes sense with their role. It can be very difficult to actually measure what was good and what wasn't good. And it can be very difficult to have it so that the lower performers are actually really incentivized to do, to, to do anything. So uh, just as an example, if I'm the worst performer or the laggard, or maybe I'm even new, I'm not even bad or good yet, and I just have all the good salespeople carrying the team performance for me, then it's not really, it doesn't mean that I'm disincentivized to perform well, I still am, but it means that the weight that I put in is just much less. So compared to uh, individual commission where I I'm 100% responsible for what I earn in a team component. Well, I have Christoph next to me who's just a sales rock star and he's just gonna sell everything. Uh, so I'll just profit off of his uh, performance, right? 
Um, but also, again, a lot of potential for upset because uh, maybe Christoph, who would be a sales rock star, is thinking, well, they're introducing this team performance bonus now uh, or team performance commission now. I'm not really that incentivized anymore to do the sales. And maybe you're going to perform worse or worst case, you're even going to leave because you say, well, I want to earn the money that I'm responsible for. So keep that in mind. It could be that the the bad salespeople the, the bad salespeople are uh, doing less than they should, and that also the good salespeople are doing less than they should, or they're even leaving because your scheme is not attractive for them. And then also think about how much teamwork is really in there. So I'm I know that team bonuses are really romanticized, and they're really people are really happy about them, and they see they feel cuddly and they feel warm and everything. Everybody gets something, and I get that, and I think there should be ways to do something about that, but they really only make sense if there is some team involved in what you're doing. Ah. So if really there is a team effort where, for example, let's say you have the back office that is actually doing a lot of the grunt work in sales, but they haven't been incentivized yet, and you want to make it so they're also participating in the sales, and you want to make it so that the salespeople and the back office are treating each other nicely, then maybe that makes sense because then we're actually working on the same thing. But if we're working, let's say, hunting and farming, so I'm, I'm going out there getting new accounts and you're the one then working with those accounts later, maybe it doesn't make so much sense because we're actually working on very, very different things. Mm. Um, but again, this really depends so much on your company. It could make a ton of sense. Yeah. It could not make any sense at all. It really depends on how much is there really a team in what you're doing. Yeah, I think it, it can make sense when you use them occasionally. So I don't think you should have like Basically, the only incentive you have in your sales team is the team incentive, and it's always the same. But I think introducing challenges on a team level, that can make a lot of sense because it can really help the overall spirit in your team. Um, and I think you can also somehow actually uh, counteract the fact that people are free riding in that kind of model. That's basically what you described, yeah. right? It's not really clear. Everybody has to contribute, so some of them are just trying to put in as little work as they can. But what you can do is that you say, okay, we have a team goal. Let's say next next month uh, we want to do 2,000 calls as a team. And you can make it really transparent to everybody who is contributing how much to that goal and put up a screen in the room and say, this is our goal and those people have done so many calls so far. And then this can actually also leading to the team members pushing other team mem members, motivating them and making sure there are no free riders by themselves. So it can also be good effects, but I fully agree with the point think about how much actually work together and if there is a team effort or not. And what you're touching upon is, I actually, this one I am a big fan of. So that's a team, I would, I would differentiate. The first thing that I talked about was a team commission. Yeah. And the second is a team challenge. Yeah. And challenges is, as you said, really something that you do occasionally. And those can be very, very powerful. Yeah. Um, not even only for the sales that they produce, but for the learning that they produce, for the, the spirit and for the motivation. Yeah. And sometimes, yes, also for the sales, of course. And I think you, team challenges are a place where you can get really creative and you can just find very quick solutions that work on some problems that you have right now. And also, they can be very many times really the most efficient for the, the laggards or maybe not the top performers. So let me give you an example. One uh, way that you could do a team challenge is to say, hey, I'll make it so that um, everybody can ha really has a chance and I'll make the team challenge for this month, team challenge April, uh, how many of the customers that you lost can you re-win again or maybe can you, can you reopen? Mm -hmm. Let's say, for example, I could measure how many opportunities can you open from lost accounts. 
And what you could then do is you would say, okay, this is really something that, of course, the best salespeople are going to have an easier time in, but it is also something where everybody can, relative to how well they did, uh, have a good performance or a bad performance. So maybe for a really good performer, they only lost the only really, really difficult accounts and they will have a very hard time winning them back. So it's really a challenge for them. But maybe for a new performer, they lost a lot of accounts they shouldn't have lost. And this is a chance for them again to make good on what they didn't do well. And actually, they might surprise you. They might win those accounts back if you give them a couple of learnings and maybe even win the challenge compared to somebody. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And there's many, many ways you could do that. Uh, you could also do it so you really re reward multiple people, uh, make it so that everybody could be incentivized, the rainmakers, the laggards, also the co-performers. Um, make it about effort. That's also another way. So you could say, hey, I'm doing, we're, we're not very good at calling a lot, but we should. So let's make two, three weeks where all we do is we do as many calls as possible. And as many calls as possible is not directly linked to performance yet, but you could say uh, even the new per the newest person in the company who's the most motivated they could win that challenge. Yeah. So that's that, those are great ways to mix things up. Those are great ways yeah. to do it. So it's not always the same people winning something. And those are also great ways to, for example, say top three people get a trip to Thailand or do something for the whole team. Let's say hey everybody gets something because we're doing a ton of effort, yeah. but the winners get to decide what we do. So we have ten thousand euros budget or budget X that depends on how well you do as a team. And the winners get to decide what we do with the money. That's, yeah. for example, one way to yeah. do it. It's a cool idea. Okay, um, should we maybe go a little bit towards, um, I mean, we, we, we briefly covered now the different kinds uh, or different tools that you have. Um, and we also touched upon different roles already. You mentioned the farmer-hunter split, um, but there's also other roles in the sales team, right? There's usually sales development people, there's back office, as you say, as you said. Um, could you maybe um, talk a little about what kind of incentivization schemes work well for, for which roles within that team? Yeah. So first thing is, I think, to make a difference between hunting and farming. If you have that and if you have two different teams, then they should probably really also have different uh, incentivization schemes because they usually will work on different things. So uh, where maybe in hunting, you would already start with the production of leads and you would start maybe even incentivizing for qualifications. So, and SDRs, for example, many times they get money for qualifying leads or setting demos. You are not going to pay money for that for, uh, for a farmer many times. But for a farmer, you could do something like, uh, uh, that's much, much later in the funnel, like uh, winning churn back, that's a classic, uh, but also something like an MPS uh, yeah. of, of service. It depends on how much the service the farmers are actually doing. So I would say the biggest role divider is probably what they're actually doing which is usually hunting or farming and hunting should obviously correlate to the incentivation of things that are early in the funnel and farming should correlate to the incentivization of things that are late in the funnel but then i think if you look at role not not, not role specific just to change over career for example uh, how should the incentivization scheme be for a person who's junior as compared to somebody who's a senior or even a team lead well, okay, not let maybe not a team lead because a team lead I think many times should also have a component that is fixed to the team compo to the to the team under them. Is I think the first thing you should keep in mind is maybe make it so that your incentivization scheme rewards yes total performance but also relative improvement. So you have to make it so that everybody, even in their first day or after ten years of selling, still has a reason to improve and it still has a reason to learn and to get better and 
because obviously that's aligned with what your company is doing. And yes, of course, they should be doing how much as much as they could, but uh, and, and they should be doing they should be going for total performance, but make it really so that you incentivize growth, for example. This could be one of the bonuses you give. So let's say uh, I hire a senior salesperson and I hire a junior salesperson, and obviously they will have different goals, right? Senior might have 500,000 goals uh, to sell, and uh, junior maybe just 100,000, and that's okay. But I will also make it so at the same time I'm measuring improvement, uh, whatever, year over year. Yeah. So how much are you actually yeah. doing? And there's, of course, maybe just pay money for that, um, but maybe also another way to do that is to not just go for how much are you improving in your KPIs, but how much are you improving in the type of accounts that you're making or the volume of accounts that you're making, which is why many times a typical career structure for a salesperson will be to go from, let's say, hunting to then small account management, medium account management, key account management, and then ultra low, ultra high, whatever, key account management, because the ethos is that it's more difficult to work on big accounts. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. I also think that, um, I mean, this is kind of a question of career path as well. Um, and I think people often forget that a career path in itself is also a pretty good way to incentivize people, right? So making it very clear on how people can basically progress through your sales team, uh, that one, one common way is from smaller to bigger accounts, but could also be from uh, basically more early stage kind of funnel things to also then closing deals. Um, what I don't like actually is some people say you start as a hunter and then you go into farming when you're more experienced. I think that's two completely different things and requires really different skills as well. But within those um, two bigger blocks, I think it's good to show them how can they progress with a good performance. Yeah. And I think I would really differentiate between... So thinking about a senior salesperson, right? I would really differentiate between paying them... Okay, so I, I want, let's say it this way. I want my senior salesperson to earn more money or at least have the possibility to earn more money. What I can do is I can either give them a better incentivization scheme or I can give them better accounts. And I think you should probably go towards the latter, but it's difficult to say exactly what is a good account. So maybe you should also uh, improve your incentivization scheme a little bit. And a typical example would though be something like going from uh, smaller accounts to bigger accounts. But then you have to think about, well, maybe it's the fact that uh, 10 small accounts are just as easy to sell as one big account and you could even make more money with small accounts. So what you, what you don't want to have is that your junior salespeople actually make more money than the senior salespeople with the same performance, right? You want to incentivize that. And you also want to say, uh, okay, simplest example, I hire you, I have these 10 accounts that I don't know what to do with. I think you have the quality to go for stakeholder management and to go through the long sales cycles and to do everything, get the people together, have no screw-ups in the meantime, and I'll give you those accounts, but those accounts will also be incentivized with double the, uh, the commission or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that would be an easy way to do that because, and everybody will be very okay with that because the, usually the senior salesperson sees it as a challenge and they're happy to take that and they also see the upside. Uh, and then junior salespeople will understand that maybe this is not their their skill yet. Yeah. So that would be an easy way. And then, of course, think about do you really have to change your commission scheme? I'm a big fan of having everybody have the same commission scheme uh, and then fine-tuning and managing it by giving different accounts. 
but again, this really depends off, off on how your company is structured and how your how your com uh, customers yeah. are structured. And, and actually, uh, as I said, on, on how well you know your accounts, um, yeah. especially also in the lead stage, right? When you don't, when they're not really your accounts yet, but you have limited information on them, um, I think that makes it quite quite difficult. But it's also actually a very good pointer to invest really early on on lead and account scoring. But that's a whole different topic that we're not going to be able to cover here. The last thing I would cover though about, so we talked about change over time, change over roles. Yeah. And what I would also link to time is something like seasonality. So mm -hmm. this will not apply to every business, but if it does, it could be huge in anything you do in, uh, in incentivization. So if you have a lot of seasonality in what you're selling, um, let's say you're selling some uh, holiday uh, equipment or whatever. I, I don't know what it is. Any, any example that has seasonality in it. And maybe you have only one or two peaks a year. This can be very difficult for a salesperson. It can be very, you have to keep this in mind when you pay commission. So let's say you keep, you pay monthly commission, but eight out of 12 months of the year, the salespeople are not making anything. And then four months of the year, they're just making bank. Yeah. It sounds great. And maybe over the year it averages out, but it's not a great commission scheme. Because that means that eight out of eight year of the eight months of the year they're not feeling really well. They're uh, well, okay. Let's say let's assume they're like average with their finances, and average people with their finances are usually not as good at. So okay, let me say it this way: the average person, and I'm hopefully not stepping on anybody's toes. The average person is not putting back one twelfth of their money every month just so they can even out uh, the year. So maybe you can help them a little bit by saying, um, okay, for those eight months where you wouldn't earn any commission, maybe I'm evening things out. I'm introducing something like a bonus bank, yeah. where in the good months, you pay into the bonus bank, and in the bad months, you retract from it. And that way, you keep the money for them a little bit, and you also make it so that it's more smooth for them. Mm. And it's it's not even just taking the self-management of the people, but it's also better for your company, and it's better for you to really make it so that you have even payments, sort of even payments, and that people are, like, keep motivation. Uh, and I think that's probably the biggest factor. If you have to work eight months of the year and you don't see any more euros than your fixed component, it's really difficult to keep motivated, yeah. to stay motivated. Yeah. But if you have at least a little bit of, uh, of commission, some euros every month that you earned maybe last year in December or January, then it's going to be easier for you. Uh, and it's also going to be easier to, to motivate you. And... So I think, yeah, of course, also think about, can, do you pay monthly, do you pay yearly? Uh, but I think the biggest gain could also be for people who start new in your company. So I've seen cases where in a very seasonal uh, product, with a very seasonal product, we had new hires coming in just at the worst possible moment. So they came in basically exactly after the, the peaks ended. So what that meant was that for the first six to eight months, they just had nothing at all going on. They had very yeah. few sales. It was just six to eight months of going through the dirt, just working towards big sales. And it feels quite bad. And we had people leaving because of that because they didn't see the light at the, at the end of the tunnel yet. So maybe that's also thinking about, well, maybe for somebody starting, I should already introduce a bonus bank and have them give them some credit uh, before they earn the big money. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very, very valuable idea. Uh, and we've, we've actually introduced this um, quite often. All right. So, thank you very much. Very interesting session. I think we uh, touched upon many different um, topics. I would probably say in one sentence, what should you keep in mind? There's a lot more things than just paying people a commission out there to incentivize them. And it makes a lot of sense to really think about the tools that you have and what you want to achieve. Uh, what, what are your goals with your company and how can you align this best?
Thank you very much, Rod. Thank you. Project A Podcast.